NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Joy. Joy. Welcome back to the show, everyone, and happy autumn celebrations, however you celebrate them, whether raking leaves, sipping your favorite pumpkin lattes, or indulging in apple cinnamon donuts. That's my vice. Two years ago, The Right Time had the great fortune to host scholar, educator, and sage Goldie Muhammad and a groundbreaking text, Cultivating Genius. Last year at NCTE, I was invited by scholastic to get a preview of her new book unearthing joy a guide to culturally and historically responsive curriculum and instruction and soon after i began distributing copies to every educator in all my programs i reached out to tanya director of programs at the national writing project and said we need to have her back my gratitude respect admiration and friendship for dr muhammad is too large to capture in a single introduction so the cheer is all ours I also know the perfect, we knew the perfect teacher to bring in from LA to the show, and the rest became history. The history is about to be revealed to everyone now, as our intention is to unearth hope, to make new possibilities, to sponsor wonder, to celebrate pride, and find the bliss this e- evening with the joy of Stacy. Stacy Joy. I know the world is tremendously better because of these two brilliant women who are here with us tonight. They both are golden and the lights that guide us for what I know is possible in K-12 schools comes from the two of them. Tanya, what's glowing in the West Coast these days? Well, Brian, the only thing I'd say about that intro is it seems to suggest that I might not have thought we needed to have Goldie back on as soon as this book came out. And that's ridiculous. (laughs) All that's glimmering is our anticipation of bringing these two guests to the right time and having the great fortune to listen to tonight's interview. The National Writing Project continues to applaud phenomenal writers who teach and teachers who write. So we are more than thrilled to have Stacy Joy and Goldie Muhammad in the house with us tonight. For the last 50 years, NWP has tried to always stop and admire and appreciate great books for teachers when they arrive on this scene. Unearthing Joy is the second of Goldie's books immeasurably impacting the ways we think about teaching to meet the needs and to raise up the genius of all learners. Without a doubt, I am as excited as you are, Brian, and it's my pleasure to welcome everybody tonight's show. Welcome. Uh, Welcome, everyone. So for those who don't know, which is kind of hard to believe you wouldn't know, uh, Dr. Golnaskar Goldie Muhammad is an associate professor of literacy, language, and culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She has previously served as a classroom teacher, literacy specialist, school district administrator, curriculum director, and school board president. She studies Black historical excellence in education, intending to reframe curriculum and instruction today. Dr. Muhammad's scholarship has appeared in leading academic journals and books. She's also received numerous, numerous national awards and is the author of the best-selling book, Cultivated Genius. I have that with me too, so Um, (laughs) an equity model for culturally and historically responsive literacy. She co-authored Black Girls Literacy and edited volume as well. But her new book, which we're here to talk about tonight, with Stacey Joy, is Unearthing Joy, the sequel to Cultivating Genius, and it provides a practical guide, a very practical guide, for putting culturally and historically responsive education into curricular space. It also celebrates archaeological digs, which I am in love with. So 
<laughs> Your turn. <laughs> Uh, we also are thrilled to have as an interviewer tonight, Stacy Joy. Stacy Joy is a nationally board certified teacher, a Google certified educator, the 2013 LA County Teacher of the Year. She has taught elementary school for 38 years. No one is going to believe that in Los Angeles Unified School District. She currently teaches fifth grade at Baldwin Hills Pilot and Gifted Magnet School. In addition to cultivating the genius and joy in her Joy Team scholars, she also mentors novice teachers and is a teacher leader in her school district. She's a UCLA Writing Project Fellow and a dedicated writer with Dr. Sarah Donovan's Community of Teacher Poets at Ethical ELA. She's a self-published poet and has published several in several anthologies, including Out of Anonymity, Savant Poetry Anthologies, Teacher Poets, Writing to Bridge the Distance, and Rhythm and Rhyme, Poems for Student-Athletes. And on top of all that, she's a proud mom of two adults, Kenneth. And now it's my pleasure to turn the show over to Stacy, who will introduce a writing prompt that you may pause and um, participate in um, before listening to the rest of tonight's show. Stacy, tell us about this prompt. So today, let's unearth joy. Let's immerse ourselves in the gardens of our deepest joy. What is the source of your deepest joy? If it comes from a person or a living thing, honor the person or that thing in your writing. If it comes from an inanimate object, honor it. If you have not yet experienced deep joy, write to the dream, the hope, or the imagined experience of deep joy. You might choose to write a poem, a love letter, or maybe write the lyrics to a future song. Let's write. That is a great prompt. We wish you the best interview and we are moving away and letting you enjoy each other's company. That was phenomenal. phenomenal. See you soon. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Brian. You all are genius, justice, and joy. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Me too. Right, dig hey. right in because you know I have a thousand questions. Okay. All right, so in your acknowledgments for unearth unearthing joy, you write about how the musicality and the joy of Stevie Wonder inspired you. Yes. Throughout the book, you give us poetry and playlists, and in the afterward, you leave us to imagine, quote, joy as magic and infinite possibilities. Mm. This is a two-part question. Okay. Today, what brings you joy? And then secondly, despite the, of course, horrible times that we're in with book bans and the sociopolitical climate and education, imagine that infinite possibilities you see for education were to come to fruition and describe a school that cultivates genius and unearths joy. Wow. Um, first of all, sis, let me say how honored I am to be in your space and your company too. You have given so many wonderful years, like, you know, inspiring the minds, educating the minds of our young people, but also our older people too, by mentoring so many. And, and I continue to learn from you as well. So first I want to say thank you. And what a beautiful writing prompt that you introduce. You know, what brings me joy? I, I remember the words of Zora Neale Hurston, and, you know, in her writing, she talks about this 
this idea to keep going, you know, when the heart is breaking, you know, what does joy look and feel like? How do we still feel a sense of peace and wellness and healing? So when I think about joy, I think about all of those things, you know, healing and wellness and smiles too, and the importance to keep going, even when the heart is breaking a bit, right? When the world is on fire and we're feeling overwhelmed and, you know, what gave me peace is, is just waking up <laughs> today. What that's that's joy giving, like seeing another day, hoping for um um you know betterment and and for a better world. I mean that gives me hope. And you know I always say that immediately when I'm in the presence of another teacher, I smile. So when I got into you all's space and presence on the on the video, even in doing this podcast, I started to smile. And, you know, I get to work with um, so many wonderful schools and they're doing incredible things because I believe the second part of your question was like, describe a school that's really doing this work, right? Uh, it, it's hard to think there's many. Um, you know, I think of Pharrell Williams School, Yellow Hab and in Virginia Beach, you know, they have such a beautiful philosophy around education and growth and enjoy um, for children um, and allowing them to be their authentic selves and learn in these creative ways where, you know, we did a curriculum project where we lifted up these concepts of identity, intellect, um, criticality, skills, and joy. So the children there are learning that immediately. And, you know, I think about so many New York um, city schools and school districts in the Bronx who have been taking up cultivating genius and unearthing joy before the books even came out. <laughs> they, um, I showed them this model, this idea I had, and they loved it and they began doing the work and I also am thinking of, I mean, so many, but just on the top of my head is Lemon Grove School District out, out in California, outside of San Diego. They have a rich and beautiful history in this community. And they just take something, they take a nugget of an idea, and they have created such rich and beautiful curriculum. And, you know, I'm loving it. And I mean, there's so many. Detroit, they're doing... They're taking their curriculum and teaching it in culturally and historically responsive ways. You know, so, so many schools, they are just, they're taking these ideas in the book and they're elevating it. They're not waiting for anybody to tell them to do it. They're not relying on anybody. They're just going for it. And that's beautiful. That's joyful. I love that. Thank you for, for that answer. Oh, my. So can you imagine thinking back to when you were an English language arts teacher and how you would nurture and, and, and excite your students to get ready to write. Think yeah. about how at the beginning of the year you do those all about me or personal narrative type assignments. Yeah. What do you think today, if we could use your model or just thinking about how you would approach it, what would you want us to do to begin the writing with students so that we could nurture students' identities? Wow. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think back, like, what, 
what kind of teacher, what kind of experiences would I've had if I had my own model back then? And in many ways, I think I was doing the model um, without knowing it and without knowing the history and the research behind it, right? But, you know, one thing I would always do as a writing teacher and that I still do, I still teach children writing in the summer is I don't really call myself a teacher. I just, I say, I am a community member and this is a community of writers because oh. one thing I learned is that although we lead children and we impart our knowledge and what we know, um, I, I learned so much about my own writing styles and how to advance my own craft of writing from the children. And so, right? I mean, don't you feel that way? I agree. Yep. And and some kiddos, when you put my writing next to them, it's like you don't know who got the PhD and who tell who's 16. So, you know, it's like writing is a great equalizer of us all in that way. But, you know, if I would have had the model and thinking about getting to know children as they're about to write, you know, I think the the model are the goals, number one. So how does writing instruction, curriculum and instruction pedagogy help students to define their lives and know themselves, identity? How is it helping them to advance their writing skills? How is it teaching them something new, right? Writing is an act of knowledge, right? It's an exercise of knowledge and intellectualism because we often have to research something then we write about it. And then, you know, how does writing help to cultivate and help children grow criticality, you know, issues of justice and equity and representation and things like that. And then how does writing serve as an act of joy? So first I think we can look at the model as the pursuits, as the goals, the standards for learning and learning how to write and engaging in writing. But as we, um, as we start to get to know students, I think it's important for teachers to ask questions like, who are you? What kinds of things do you like to write about? What kinds of environments do you write best? Do you like loud music um, or silence behind you? Do you like um, to write alone or in collaboration with other brother and sister authors in the community? You know, what have teachers taught you about skills? What skills do you bring into the classroom when it comes to writing? What are you really good at? You know, I had a child who I taught and she says, you know, uh, Miss Muhammad, I was Miss Muhammad then. She says, you know, I write essays and nonfiction. I don't really see poetry as real writing. <laughs> and she says, and she struggled with it. And, and she almost questioned its authenticity. And by the end of our class, she said, this is what made her a strong writer, poetry. She got to learn, and I mean, you're a poet, you know this. She got to learn and experiment with poetry, sis. And she was just like, she wrote a beautiful poem about how she is now a poet. <laughs> and so you can have students reflect on what writing will help them to become smarter about. You know, how does writing stop a bullet, stop a war? How does writing help to engage humanity into, be, into being better, right? How does writing, um, how can writing elicit joy? How has writing been joyful for you? So these become like getting to know you guiding questions for the students. 
you're getting to know their craft, you're getting to know who they are, you're getting to know what they want writing to be for them. So the model can be used in such beautiful ways like that. Ooh, that made me want to write. <laughs> yeah, make you want to, and she wants to write poems all the time <laughs> after that. <laughs> so, you know, I actually do believe that poetry is like therapy. And through some of my darkest times of my life, that's what pulled me through. Yeah. And the best times, my most joyous times, poetry allows me to celebrate. Yeah. So what genre of writing do you feel like you enjoy the most? And then how might teachers use writing as a tool? You've already kind of spoken on this, but as a tool for healing or social justice. Yeah. Um, so in terms of my genre... You know, it it will have to be poetry and um, nonfiction. I also like memoirs and uh, writing from personal spaces. Um, that's what I really intended to do with Unearthing Joy. I didn't, I really wanted it to feel like uh, a somewhat of a memoir of a personal connection I was making with readers, but to get to know me a little deeper too. Um, and I think what's special about poetry is poetry helps you to really understand deep and complex topics that sometimes a whole encyclopedia or a book cannot give you. In a few lines, sometimes a poem can help you really understand the most complicated things in life. And I love that about poetry. I love how, you know, it is like, there, there's no one way of understanding it or doing it or writing it. Um, it, is, it is simple yet complex. <laughs> it is um, a way to experiment with language. It, it helps us, it helps to move us emotionally. You know, it is it's such a beautiful genre for many things in life to help us grow. And, you know, I also like uh, nonfiction. <laughs> I uh, I like to write nonfiction. I, I really wish I was a be better uh, literary writer in, in terms of short stories. Um, I could tell a good story. So that means there's some potential there. So that's that's the my desired favorite genre to write is short stories. Now, you know, how can writing be a tool for healing and justice? You know, when we just situate writing as a way to both enable and advance and improve skills, you know, we may not get to that healing and justice. And we see a lot of schools that way. Right. Writing is a, the purpose and power of writing for our lives is not really in a lot of curriculum. Mm. It's mostly like, you know, how do you... Um, you know, it focuses on organization, writing a sentence, and how is it concise? Does it make sense? You know, like the mechanics, the grammar, the those sorts of parts of writing, the skills. But when we open up the purpose of writing more than just to pass a test or to write in a sentence, you know, I always ask children uh, three questions before I start teaching writing <laughs> or engaging them in writing. I say, who are you? What is the purpose and power of your pen? You know, and 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 I ask them what issues are most urgent of your pens? Mm. You know, because it gets to the sense of, and of course, like, why do you write? Right. I want them to know that 
in this writing class, in this ELA class, we're not just going to do those traditional writing prompts because um, real writers don't do that. We don't sit and say, how am I going to respond to this prompt for the most part? We don't say we're going to write to entertain or persuade. <laughs> I don't do that when I write either. I write for myself and, you know, my books have been for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, they have, I mean, they're for teachers, but they're, they, I have to love and feel good about it for first. Right. And, and then if you experience any of that joy that I experienced writing, that's a double duality of a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But when we think about writing as a tool to heal, you know, this is where we have to be uh, fearless in a way. And, and writing doesn't have to be for everybody. Some writing can be just for ourselves. You know, we can write out the things that we cannot say out loud. Yeah. And, and it could be to us where we're the sole reader and we can write out what has happened, what we wish happened, how we would do things differently, how we want to heal from it. We can speak the truth on the pages, you know, I think it was Gwendolyn Brooks that says, perhaps uh, I'm going to butcher the, the direct quote, but, you know, perhaps I, I'm a writer because I'm not a talker, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. things are there. Yeah, that's what she said. And there are there are things that are difficult to talk through and, and writing can we can write through it. We can heal through it first and mm -hmm. we can write for justice. We can write letters of appeal which we're seeing all over the world, we can write to stop uh, something negative from happening. We can write for social justice. You know, we can write to make the world a better place. And, and so that's the purpose and power of words and what they can do. It can reach the hearts and the minds of the masses uh, all over the world. Um, and it has a permanence, right? There are pieces of writing that I still carry with me from the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th century. And it's like, they could have written that today. Mm. Yeah, and 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 that's, that's the beauty of healing. You know, it's not just writing yourself, but reading somebody else's writing to help you heal. Ooh. You know, that's the beauty. I mean, it, it is, you know, it's sad sometimes when we see writing diminished or seen as less than or... Oh, we're just going to, we got to focus on these other subjects first. Writing is the most intellectual exercise you can carry because it involves so many other literacies and you need it for everything. If you have language and a powerful pen in front of you to write, man, it's nothing you can't do, right, sis? You know this. Probably. <laughs> So in the past, I know you've talked before about how you always wanted to be a teacher and you love learning. What yeah. childhood experiences brought you the most joy? I don't think I know your childhood stories. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I I have a, the few that come to mind. You know, I was a very happy child. I was joyful. And mm -hmm. I just sparked joy in, in the lives of others. People would tell me I was just happy and I love people. I love all kinds of people. I just love meeting people. And I, I still carry that today. It doesn't matter where I am. My husband would say you would come back home for wherever you traveled with friends and with nieces and nephews. <laughs> and sisters. 
and sisters, right? And brothers, like I have new family and it's like the family is just expanding. But, you know, I remember like teaching um, reading and writing lessons to my older brother, like pretending we were in school and I had a green chalkboard and, you know, I would, I didn't know it then, but I was writing curriculum and I was, you know, teaching the lesson plans that I had written as a child. And I remember like writing poetry books and, you know, writing all kinds of poems. I have examples of spelling my name out in a poem and writing po poetry based on what I observed in my community in Gary, Indiana. Um, and and I, I was writing what I would call today like justice-centered poems because everything I saw wasn't like the happiest, right, in the moment. And, you know, one of my, my favorite and fondest memories as a child in writing I would, and I don't think anybody really, well, maybe a few people might know this, but I would write acceptance speeches to made up awards. Mm -hmm. So like if I wanted to be like Janet Jackson's backup dancer, like the best dancer award or, you know, and I did this, this all through childhood, college and adulthood. Um, it stopped around like my doctoral uh classes, I would write like literacy award acceptance speech. And, you know, some of the awards I, I, even though I was making it up in my mind, I received them later. I would get community awards and advocacy awards, all sorts of things. But it became like a, a again, later reflecting on this, it became like a goal setting practice. That's all I was doing. I was trying to see it. And I, I wrote it down and I would practice delivering it. And I don't know if I thought as far as, you know, receiving any of these awards, some I have, some I obviously have not, like Janet Jackson's favorite backup dancer, but um, it just allowed me to dream, you know, and and I, that's what writing did for me growing up and still today, it just allows me to dream. I think that sounds very much like vision board in writing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. So another thing that I think is so amazing about Unearthing Joy is that every chapter gives us playlists, we have poetry, we have coloring pages. The music is surreal because not only do I enjoy playing music in the classroom with my students because it helps them to focus and it helps them to be at ease, but I feel like music brings us an opportunity to dig deeper inside ourselves and then write. So can you explain how you use the arts, visual and musical to help cultivate genius and joy and why you included that in the book? Well, artists like help to teach me. Artists are some of the best people on earth. And if you can surround yourself somehow with an artist, you are typically with the best among us. <laughs> I remember telling my therapist that, you know, my husband, I said, you know what? I met someone and he's an artist and I think we're going to get married. And he was like, thank God, artists are the best. You right. know? And they are, my, my husband's an artist. So it was nice to write the book in his genius and his uh, company in many ways, because I got to see how his mind really works, like his artistic mind. And I think like in many ways, we're all artists. I like to consider myself like a curriculum artist. My art is my curriculum. And, um, and I wanted the book to, I wanted teachers and leaders to see themselves as artists too. 
as creating something beautiful and special to be taught, to be imparted upon the lives of our students. And what you create is your art. And when I went into the book, I said, I started listening to um, Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants. I don't know if you, you know this album by Stevie Wonder. And Stevie was like, you know, I don't care. I'm writing a whole album on plants and flowers growing. I don't care about album sales. I mean, that's not pop music during the time. And I kept listening to it in the background when I'm writing the introduction and I'm crying and I stop. And I, I started the book with the introduction and I'm, I'm crying. I see, I, I keep crying and I pause and I keep writing, crying, writing. It was just like a whole embodiment of emotions. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was tears of joy, really. It was, it was the beauty of the earth. And, and that's where I really came to the word unearth, you know, unearthing. And what happens when we unearth? And, you know, many years ago, I taught a college course on Stevie's Wonders Music. And I'm bringing it back to UIC next year in the fall. But, you know, I started to uh, piece together different theoretical orientations in education, and I had a Stevie song for every theory. And so I said, you know, theories like Black feminism, womanism, critical theory, they can be complex. But here Stevie was like sort of writing lyrics and through his musicality, helping me to understand what these difficult or more complex theories meant. Mm -hmm. So artists do that in such special ways, right? They help us to break down the complex and it, and it reaches uh, not just our minds, but our hearts, you know, and we need both, we know in education. So I said, you know, what happens if other people, as, as I'm writing this book and I started creating my own playlist, as I often write, I got a dissertation playlist, I have all of that. But I said, well, what happens if the playlist I create aligns with the content of the, the words I'm writing in terms of meaning. And they play it softly in the background and they're getting layered meaning, right? They're reading, they're listening to lyrics and it helps them to understand what I'm writing about. And then I said, well, what happens if I find poems uh, by Langston Hughes, one of my favorites, uh, that sort of align with the meaning? So now we have multi-layers of artistry and there's artwork and there's coloring book pages, all sort of aligned to that theme or content in each chapter. And, and so it sort of became like this artistic embodiment of joy. That was the intention um, as, as people were reading it. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes we don't have to plan. We can just let things sort of beautifully and magically unfold. <laughs> Exactly. Serendipity. One of my favorite words. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I deeply admire you and I know you know that and your words are very important to me. And one of the quotes that I have of yours that I use in some of my workshops is we must start our students stories and identities with their excellence. So in Unearthing Joy, you started the chapters with famous quotations from Ernest Hemingway to Maya Angelou, James Baldwin, Gwendolyn Brooks. And then you started the chapters with excellence and words that feed our identities. Whose words do you hold dear as your source of strength, your source of joy, or your source of inspiration? 
Oh, wow. Uh, first, I admire you too, sis. You should always know that. And I'm always going to tell you. And we should always start with excellence, yes. I mean, why not? I mean, it's kind of ironic how many of us never did that. <laughs> you know, we always started with what children can't do and or problems. We, you know, we don't really start with uh, the excellent things first. Now, you know, when I think of excellency and words, you know, I think of uh, with my faith, I'm Muslim, I think of Quranic teachings, you know, um, there's one particular um, line within the faith that says, say what is best or remain silent. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's such a simple line, right? And, um, but it's true. And I try to do that. Like, if it's not the most beautiful, kind, loving thing to say, I try not to say anything at all. And there's another line from Islam that's, that reads, um, want for your sister what you want for yourself, mm. you know, and, or your brother, right? Um, and so it helps me to have friendships the right way and help me to not be in competition or jealousy, but just to love and lift each other. And, and, and I won't put on something onto my sister what I would not want for myself. You know, so the Quran is such a beautiful text for me. And I learn a lot about humanity and how to be a better human. And then, of course, the words of my mothers, um, you know, who teaches me. You know, I have two mothers, who two women who I consider my mothers. And um, and they would say things like, are you drinking enough water? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it would be the words, the, the text messages, the lines. Uh, you know, another mother would tell me, you know, make sure you understand every step of the way. She would tell me education is about changing the lives of others, but, but about being changed yourself. So you don't, you, it's not just about transmission or transmitting information. If you don't leave that classroom better and improve. And, you know, I remember when I wrote my dissertation, um, my mother I started with all the problems that are inflicted into the lives of Black girls and what other people say about Black girls. My dissertation was on Black girls' writing practices. And she says, uh-uh, we're not starting with uh, what other people say about Black girls. We're starting with what we say about ourselves, our excellence. You know, and so, you know, in your doctoral program, you're always uh, sort of implicitly taught that you've got to situate your work in problems and the problem and the problem. Nobody says you got to situate yourself, your work in the excellence and the excellence. And so I thought that I had to write that way. Um, and, you know, finally, I, I always, when I think about writers and what inspires me, it's, it's my bestie, it's Dr. Yoli, Dr. Yolanda Seeley Ruiz, Dr. Lala, as some people call her. And, you know, every single word she says is like a plea to the people, a speech. <laughs> and, you know, she teaches me many things. And among them are, you know, you have one goal is to tell the truth in kindness and in love. And how people receive it is not on you, it's on them. And, and that's a good lesson for someone like me who, who speaks to people a lot. And, and we do, tr I do truth telling and sometimes folks don't want to hear it. And it, it's not my responsibility of how they receive it. You know, sometimes you want everybody to receive it like a certain way. And if they don't, you feel disappointed or something. Uh-uh. I'm not, I'm not trying to 
change people's wicked hearts in one uh, workshop. <laughs> I am trying to tell the truth in kindness and in love. So, you know, sis, we, we continue to be inspired by each other, by the mothers, the sisters, and so many others, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question about book clubs. Okay. I think that in the world that we're in today, a lot of us are in book clubs or writing groups, and that's where we're feeding one another and getting a lot of new information, new ideas, what whatnot. Mm-hmm. What I would like to see happen, and maybe you can give me some idea of how this might happen, is there a way that we could incorporate what the Black Literary Societies did into today's book clubs and writing groups? And if sure. so, yeah, I mean, I, I and I think we're we're starting to move toward that, and many groups are. They're even not calling it book clubs; they're calling it literary societies. So there are some schools that I've worked with in the past, and I said, why don't we create a mini literary society, um, which is essentially a book club. You know, when we think about literary societies, they were called many things. They were called reading rooms library companies, (laughs) Um, of course, literary societies, lyceums. um, They had had all these terms, but it it became like a space to cultivate these five pursuits, right? So I think you have a literary society or a book club when you are actively thinking and engaging and advancing the five pursuits. So that's the first practice, you know, so how whatever text we read or engage in, it might be a video or a podcast like this. I could see, you know, a book club watching this podcast and then leaving the pod and asking like, well, what did that podcast teach me about myself? Identity, right? What what new skills did I learn? Pedagogical skills, Right. And then intellectualism, just what did I learn new about from listening from the podcast? What did I learn about justice, equity, uh, anti-oppression for criticality? And how did I learn and experience joy from that podcast or whatever book or text that we choose to engage in? So the five pursuits also become the goals. Now, literary society members, they also have some interesting practices. Now, they they paid uh, monetary dues, (laughs) like many organizations, and all their money and funds went to cultivating their libraries, making sure they had diverse literature in it, global literature, conscious literature, black and brown literature. Um, And so that's one thing we can do first. Are we cultivating our library within our book club? Because the the hope is we want to read something, engage in something, come back, discuss it, how it shaped us, and then move and then put that piece (laughs) of text in the library and then pull out another or something. We want to cultivate like a, a literary society library. They also had like a each one teach one philosophy. Um, One member said, we wish to see the flame of improvement spread. So Mm -hmm. it was very intentional to have people of different age groups in the book club Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you were strong in one area, like let's say you were, you had many years teaching like you do you would be paired with someone with less years that you can build together. It wasn't like ability grouping, (laughs) 
you know, we, we had to each one teach one. And they had this practice that when they checked out a book they of the library or when they read something, let's say you read a blog or a news article, you had a responsibility to the group to give a short, let's say three to five minute talk on what you just read. So everything was like this exchange of knowledge. So there were practices like that, that um, I can see teachers sort of picking up or educators picking up in their book club and they're sort of mimicking and modeling what the ancestors did. It's really cool and interesting. <laughs> Seems so doable. So like everybody just do it. Yeah, just do it. Um, it. It's possible. And then it's possible to reimagine and rethink the things that they may not have done or we don't know that they've done, like create new spaces um, for healing and joy too. Uh, now that we know more, we do better. I mean, a lot of people are, focusing on rest now. What happens if we take a moment to just breathe and rest our minds, settle our hearts before we start our book clubs, you know, just to speak to the importance of rest as joy. Love that. Yeah. Oh. All right. So I think I'll give you one more question and it's a little loaded. So bear with me. Okay. I'm with you, sis. Okay, good. So educators can't get enough of cultivating genius. We know that. <laughs> then you rock the world with unearthing joy. I totally wholeheartedly believe that we need genius and joy academies to carry on this work worldwide. Yeah. What do you envision for yourself and for this work? Wow. Um, you know, I think about that every day. Um, in terms of, I mean, the model is such a special something. It's like my baby. And, you know, I'm learning from the genius of educators around the world, how the model can be implemented and used. I mean, some people are using the model, like I said, for book clubs, for um, uh, teacher evaluation, observation, interviews, things like that. And of course, curriculum. You know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the next vision is the curriculum. I mean, I help educators, including my own students at UIC, help to write curriculum, how, how to adapt the curriculum that's already given to you at, at your school to make it more intentionally, historically responsive to the students you serve. But what happens if we give children a whole curriculum with these five pursuits? right? That they wouldn't have to adapt so much and make culturally responsive. You know, I talk about the curriculum and like the dress. And sometimes people are the seamstress, the designers of the dress, and they try on a dress to students who can't fit it. And they never took the measurements of the students and they blame the students and not the dress itself. That's what happens in schools oftentimes with curriculum. So I envision um, a beautiful and um, free, like freeing one's mind, like one that's grounded in freedom and liberation and justice and joy and genius justice and joy, like my shirt says. Uh, the beautiful Kyra Lloyd um, created this shirt, educator out in New York City. And um, that's that will be my vision. Um, I'm also writing some children's stories 
I um, <clears throat> I envision like a conference, uh, maybe in the years to come, like a like a Genius Justice and Joy conference. I think the last book or the next book, I don't know if it'd be the last, you know, you write something, you're like, this is going to be the last. <laughs> it takes so, so much out of you. But um, I want to write a book on leadership and justice too, and have these academies and have these learning spaces, like whatever we need, we create. That's my next vision. I want to be there. Yeah, um, I do too. <laughs> well, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and Lisa, who joined us. Yeah, she. I talked like you had the prompt of writing about joy, and I was not going to write about this monster behind me. But this is what she does. She likes to make appearances on the right time, and she does bring me joy. But it let me tell you, Odin. look, just like she, a she is. She is a monster. She is. I, I said the other day, I was like, she's like the sirens. Like you know, when you read like Greek mythology, like she lures you in because she's so beautiful, and then you get to know her, and she just like like terrorizes you. She's because she's like got terrier in her, and she's like rah, so mm -hmm. high strong that's not what i wanted to talk about when i came back i just wanted to thank you um oh, one of the things you. i was i was like what do i want to read what do i want to pull out i was like okay i i absolutely love the reframing of words and on page 97 everybody page 97 take the words that we use with children and flip the script because they're they're so detrimental um yeah. i love the definition on page 77 joy is the practice of loving self and humanity yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was working with my student last night, Matt, the word he took out of the, we read the first three chapters was harvesting. And, mm -hmm. and I was thinking harvesting and he was, he's working on something now and he was like harvesting history. And I think what you do that is so drastically different and, you know, Alfred Tatum probably is part of this influence too, is you figure out that history should come first. History is central to everything that we do. We're language arts teachers, but you cannot avoid history. And, and I was playing around with your wording of harvesting history and joy with the possibilities of language. And I was thinking of this conference, like I would want to present it that I want, I want to, I want my students to be able to show yeah. you in the universe what they've, what they've, what they've done with their work, because you've written this for us. This is the book, another book. We've always but needed. Yes, 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 that's exactly it, Brian. So many people are doing these wonderful things. I, you know, the number of lesson plans and ideas that people send to me. Hey, this is what I'm doing with the model: a whole curriculum on play. One teacher, uh, how uh, how to play as a three year old to learn, and and so what happens if all of these genius minds come together, including our children? Well, and I also this cover. When I think when, you know, when I was at, you know, the Scholastic Breakfast or brunch, I guess it was, and they unraveled this cover. This is, if I was to have a picture in my head of who is Goldie Muhammad, this is it. I mean, the bird, the bird of paradise, the flowers. My, my summer institute was totally 100% color coordinated everything to this cover of this book because it was, it really, it, it does unearth joy. And then all the, you know, the respect for land and dirt and planting and soil and growth, it's just remarkable. So props to everybody behind everything of this book, including the author and our wonderful Stacy, who's gonna give us a wonderful prompt that we could write out of the show if we wish to. All right. Here, I'll share it. Okay. It's always these little glitches. There we go. So Goldie, this is a favorite of yours as well as mine, our Langston. Yeah, our Langston. Out. So Langston Hughes dreamed a world. In his poem, I Dream a World, Langston Hughes wanted us to dream a world with peace and freedom 
and love. Mm -hmm. The poem is a call to action because the problems of 1941 are still problems in 2023. Right there, yeah. Close by writing our dream for the world. Imagine joy as magic. Imagine infinite possibilities in your classrooms and schools. Write about what you'll see, what you'll hear, and what you'll feel in those spaces. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. So beautiful. I mean, the questions you asked, Stacey, beautiful. You asked me what I like to write, what I like to read are questions. I love to just pause on questions. <laughs> These prompts are also so phenomenal. I'm so glad that there's action with this. Yes. Beautiful. I am going to close us out by saying my thanks. Thank you, Stacey, for those beautiful questions. Thank you, Goldie, for... Ah, trying to tell the truth with love. And I am just going to try to make that my mantra because I don't know what else to do these days, but that feels like the, the thing that we can do. So thanks. Ugh. Thank you, Brian, for being my amazing co-host. Thank you, listeners, for being here for NWP Radio, or sorry, the right time. <laughs> Thank you for being here for the right time. Um, I'm sure you wouldn't want to miss a moment with Goldie Muhammad or any of the other amazing writers that we get to interview here. So sign up for our newsletter, join the studio where we are talking about this book and many other things. Um, and we'll see you again. Thanks, everyone. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP.